physics world. Google the word quantum and take a look at what comes up. You'll undoubtedly come across a heap of seemingly random entries that all use the word. From films to TV shows, from song lyrics to clothing stores, all the way to pseudoscientific wellness therapies, everyone is talking about quantum something or the other. But how much do we really know about quantum mechanics? And more to the point, how well do science journalists, like me, really understand this notoriously difficult topic? I'm Tushna Commissariat, reporter for Physics World, and earlier this year I went to a three-day quantum mechanics boot camp for science journalists at the Nordic Institute for Theoretical Physics, Nordita, in Stockholm, Sweden. Bundled into a classroom with other journalists and experts in the field, the workshop was designed to start up a healthy dialogue between researchers and journalists, with the aim of sussing out the pitfalls of communicating tricky scientific topics. When it comes to talking about science, both journalists and scientists have a common goal, to successfully and accurately communicate a subject to the public. But as is often the case, both parties adopt wildly different ways and means to achieve their common goal. During my time at the workshop, I chatted with people from both camps to see if together we could work out the best way to talk about the so-called spooky subject of quantum mechanics to a global audience. Over the years, I have met many scientists who are enthusiastic to share their work with the public. And one such person is scientist and seasoned communicator Raymond Laflamme, who is the current director of the Institute for Quantum Computing at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Laflamme is firmly of the opinion that quantum technology is on the cusp of changing the world we live in. I caught up with him between talks and found out how and why he is so keen to talk about his work. We are at a time right now where I believe that the quantum properties of nature, the quantum forces, are going to have such an impact on um, science, on technology, on society as a whole. And I want to let people know, people who help me being able to do the research that I can do, who funds me, that I can be the government or really the taxpayers, or also philanthropy, to let them know what is happening. Laflamme also sees certain parallels between how classical music and classical physics changed at the beginning of the 20th century. According to him, the randomness that people saw in nature fed into their worldviews, influencing both the sciences and the arts at the turn of the century. And this is something that Laflamme likes using as a means to talk about his work. So here's one way of how I like to interact with the general public. So in Waterloo, Ontario, Kitchener-Waterloo. I teamed up with the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony Orchestra to have a music concert which expressed these parallel together. So here's one small way which I could do it. To understand how we got here, let's begin a few centuries ago with two key figures in physics and music. Isaac Newton described the natural laws that govern our universe. Mozart expressed the beauty of Newton's laws with music full of structure and symmetry. In the music of Mozart, as in Newtonian physics, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And in Mozart's music, there is an order and symmetry that we still find very pleasing.
What you just heard there was a short clip from the beginning of the symphony itself, recorded live in 2012. This idea of bringing together music and science has always been a successful one. The first concert, performed in Waterloo, included music and short explanations from a narrator. The concert was sold out and has since been performed elsewhere in the US and Canada. I also asked Laflamme what he felt were some of the pitfalls of science communication. I think the danger in science communication is, I think, the hype. And the hype comes sometimes from the scientist, sometimes from the journalist. There's an incredible pressure from the scientists to get grants. And when they get communication with journalists, sometimes it helps, but sometimes there's a backlash also. And I could see there's also a pressure from the uh, journalists in science communication to hype things so that the reader will find it exciting. So there is a balance that has to be created about exactly how important is the result. And it's very hard to know how important is the result when it's really new. La Flamme also pointed out that advances in science are never straightforward and that people should be made aware of the many ups and downs that come before a piece is deemed complete. I think sometimes, for me, it's okay for somebody to be wrong, especially if they're wrong for an interesting reason. Then it stimulates. And this is something that society, our society nowadays, find hard to accept failure of people. That kind of suddenly something didn't go right. You don't write a grand proposal by saying you failed in the last two years, even if you had failed for a really, really interesting result, which led to many other people to kind of question and make progress. And coming to terms with this kind of failure is something that both scientists and journalists should be more willing to talk about and report on, so that the general public's perception of how science is done is closer to the reality of what happens in laboratories and research institutes world over. Human nature tends to be pushy, and, and some of the people who are very pushy at doing something sometimes succeeds very well. And I think one of the challenge of the science journalist is to understand the, what kind of human is on the other side in the scientists and kind of assess this. And face-to-face sometime after a day or two of conversation is probably a lot easier when it's through a telephone call on a Thursday afternoon when there is a deadline, much harder. An excellent way to do this is to bring people together at workshops like this one. In 2011, quantum physicist and blogger Sabine Hossenfelder, who is currently based at Nordita, was working on developing the Institute's public outreach activities. I was talking um, about um, how the difficulties of public outreach, generally science communication um, and so on, with uh, George Musser at a meeting that I organized in 2011, so some years ago. Uh, So that was a physicist meeting and um, he was there because he had been thinking about the topic that the meeting was about and we knew each other. And we were talking about this difficulty and I was um, asking him what would be a good way to bridge this gap between the scientists and the science writers. Uh, because sometimes it's frustrating from my side if, if I read some popular explanation about what I'm working on and, you know, it makes my hair stand up. <laughs> but I also guess that it must be frustrating from the other side. And uh, he came up with a suggestion um, of making this kind of workshop and I thought it was brilliant. So, um, and I um, pitched this idea to the board uh, of the Institute and they liked it. Last year, along with Masse, 
who is the contributing editor at Scientific American, Hosenfelder organised the first such writer's boot camp on astrophysics and cosmology. Indeed, she confessed to me that organising the workshop involved a lot of time and effort, and the duo wondered whether it was worthwhile to do it all over again. But thanks to some very positive feedback from last year's participants, many of whom returned this year, she and Musser decided to plan another workshop. And just to make things a little bit more difficult for themselves, they picked quantum mechanics as a topic of choice. Another of this year's lecturers was physicist, author and blogger Chad Ozell, who thought that the workshop was truly an excellent idea. Yeah, I think this is this is really a terrific idea for, for a workshop to bring people together and, and talk about uh, science issues, you know, in a, in a communications forum. Um, I've been to some other meetings, uh, you know, there's the, the Science Online conference that happens every year that's more focused on the the journalism side of it and and doesn't have a, a great deal of con- content about science and I think that that you know this is a wonderful complement to that and I think that the more of this kind of thing where where you, you bring scientists and journalists together to talk through the technical issues of the science um, and and not so much about the the markets and and writing and and that side of the process uh, i think is a really good really good thing so i would love to see more of these and i'd love to see the the idea be expanded to to other institutions and other other areas of physics indeed that was the view of many of us writers author and journalist michael brooks found the workshop a perfect way of stepping back from a writer's day-to-day activities which mostly involved trying to meet a quickly approaching deadline to get some perspective on the field as well as finding out what's new. Yeah, you're so driven by deadlines. You've got a story to write, you, you, and you move on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And it's very rare to get the chance to kind of take a couple of days out and just sit back and sort of and build up that kind of reservoir of knowledge that you always wish you had when you're writing. Yeah, otherwise you're just going to a book and finding the fact that you need rather than kind of being able to put that in context of everything else. So I think things like this are really good for developing um, a, a reservoir of context for your writing generally. Brooks tells me that the main issue he finds while talking to researchers, especially about anything to do with quantum mechanics, is the old problem of the scientific vernacular. I think the insistence on certain sort of bits of jargon is a problem. You know, it's like, oh, you can't talk about entanglement because you have to talk about non-locality. And it's, to be honest, I'd rather not talk about either. I'd rather find some kind of alternative that, that people won't have to sort of think twice about. And, and I think sometimes, you know, the scientists get so worried about how they're going to look to their peers, you know, whether the, the, the research is being, you know, reported accurately and whether their peers will accuse them of dumbing it down themselves that they forget, you know, who they're supposed to be sort of aiming at. So, so for me, uh, you know, it's quite useful to have a, a dialogue, as, we, as we've done here, between some researchers and some writers talking about, you know, we, we want different things out of this quite a lot of the time. Valerie Jameson, who is the features editor at New Scientist magazine, couldn't agree more. For me, the difficulty with quantum mechanics is not only are you dealing with really difficult subjects, but there is an incredible amount of jargon as well. And that's very difficult to get over. 
We've got some great analogies that we use um, in, uh, in quantum physics um, and we've got some great phrases from Einstein like spooky action at a distance and some great quotes from Richard Feynman about, um, about, uh, about why nobody understands quantum physics. But the trouble for me is that some of these um, are becoming rather cliched. You tend to see them in lots of other articles. But these are these are very old quotes, and you see them coming up over and over again. And so, what um, I'm inspired by this workshop to do is to try and go and find some new analogies. The new analogies are clearly not easy to come up with. I'm going to have to go away and think about that very carefully. But at least this workshop has given me the um, the inspiration to try and do that. The subject of hackneyed analogies was one that crept up often over the course of the workshop. A discerning writer knows that a clear, well-crafted analogy will go a long way to making even the most convoluted of topics more palatable. Quantum mechanics has a stockpile of such analogies, but most of us agreed that these phrases and quotes are overused and do not accurately represent the advances the field has made over the past few decades. While we didn't hit upon the formula to create the perfect analogies, the feeling was that this is something that both journalists and scientists should be working towards. There was also a compelling juxtaposition between how scientists and journalists absorb information, and this became more and more apparent over the three days of the workshop. I think what's been really interesting about this meeting is having the physicists and the science writers working together, and it's clear that we approach these problems from very different uh, from very different sides. Um, the the motivation's different um, for for researchers. Their motivation is to get it absolutely accurate, and they don't care how long that takes. But as science writers, we're working to deadlines, and so we well, we we make approximations. We 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 do simplify things, and and that can be annoying for scientists. And I think what this conference has done is shown scientists why we why we do this, and that's. That during the discussions that we have, they genuinely seem to have been very enlightened by this. I mean, for physicists to talk about quantum mechanics, they very often resort to equations very, very quickly. And for them, it's really natural to think in equations. The challenge for me is I think in words, I think in pictures. I'm trying to paint a picture in our readers' minds. And uh, so there's a real gap between the mathematical equations and the pictures that we can paint. That's why we use these metaphors. I think as science writers we've at this workshop, we've, um, we've actually been quite harsh on ourselves and quite critical about how we write about quantum mechanics. But I think readers love quantum mechanics. They love that weirdness. They love the fact that their minds are blown by it. They love the counterintuitive aspects of it. Blogger and science writer Sadir El Shok agrees with Jameson as he tells me that the key point that he will take away from our boot camp is that quantum mechanics is not as unfathomable a topic as it sometimes seems. I think there's a good tone of optimism in terms of where, where quantum mechanics is taking us um, or where, where we can get with quantum mechanics is a better way to say it. I think science communication is about communicating the subtleties without getting bogged down in them. Uh, and that may be slightly harder in quantum mechanics, but we often make it harder than it should be. I think there's a lot of, of very accessible stuff with quantum mechanics, especially now when we see that, that there are some, uh, some technologies coming out of it. You know, very low-level quantum computing and, and then the quantum sensing that we heard about, or quantum sensors that we heard about. I think that will help 
help in just making it more accessible to people. At the end of our three-day boot camp, one thing was clear. While we had not cooked up the recipe to writing the perfect quantum tale, we had learned much from one another. The scientists and all us journalists in the room had an awful lot to gain from taking the time out to talk to each other at length, at least once in a while. To read about the latest breakthroughs in quantum physics, stay tuned to physicsworld.com. Hopefully, my bootcamp training has left me full of new ideas and analogies to tackle some of the most cutting-edge research in the field. I'm Tushna Commissariat, and thanks for listening to this Physics World podcast. Physics World.